Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but every single Sunday morning, usually every Sunday afternoon, usually every Monday morning, I send out an email to every one of you whose email address I have. I won't ask you to raise your hand and say, how many of you are aware of that? <laughs> of you. How many of you, when it comes through, read that? Don't raise your hand. I can't take that. I can't take that. But here's what I sent out this morning. About 5 o'clock this morning, 5.15 maybe. Sent it out to our entire Sun Life mailing list. And I realized after I read it, sent it out, and then was finishing up on this message today that what I sent out this morning would make an excellent introduction to this message this morning. So here it is. Here's what some of you read this morning, right? Don't nod your head if you did, because I'd probably get a crooked neck looking for nodding heads. Here it goes. It said, Today is the second Sunday in Advent, that is the period in which we anticipate celebrating the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Son of God into our fallen world. This year we're using the traditional candles and colors to symbolize aspects of our Christmas-centered faith. These have been used since the earliest days of the Christian church. Because the Son of God came to take up earthly life and live among us with a heavenly purpose, we too can live this earthly life with such heavenly purpose. We live lives of worship and praise of surrender and obedience, we demonstrate by our lives that the coming of Jesus Christ has made a profound difference in our world. Our Advent candles this Christmas, this Advent season, speak of the blessings of Christmas. The blessings that Christ brought with him when he came. Today I would turn your attention to the second of those blessings Shouted out by this second purple candle, the blessing of faith. Let's bow in prayer as we begin this message. Our Heavenly Father, it's such a marvelous thing that things can be used to communicate truths. That images can take hold of our mind and, and retain some of those truths for us. And Father, this season of the year, we're using some things, some images to seek to, to just bring into us in a fresh way the truths we have long cherished about the coming of Jesus Christ into the world. So Father, bless this message today as we focus upon the blessing of faith itself. For we ask this in Jesus' name and for the, the good, the greater good, of his own church, and of this congregation. Amen. 
Now, this message today, entitled The Blessing of Faith, is construed around, as you see on your notes, several key Advent questions. Just questions we can ask. First off, why is faith so important? I could have you buddy up one by one, two by two, three by three, row by row, and see what you could come up with. Why is faith? Why is faith so important to a Christian? I'm sure we could brainstorm a few of those good answers quickly. Surely we could confidently say, and I bet a bunch of us would come up with this, <clears throat> faith is important because there are so many things in this world and in our lives that we cannot be sure of. Things that we cannot prove or actually verify, and yet things that are critical to our sense of well-being. These are the kind of things that would frequently lead my mother to say as I was growing up, and I've told you this before, she would say, Mark, there are some things that we simply must believe by faith. I hated that answer. When I'm asking something to someone wise is my mom, I wanted to know. I wanted to be sure about those things that generally seem to me to be so important. Is God real? Is the Bible true? Does God have a plan for my life? Is it a good plan? Or will it take me to some far off land like it had taken two of my father's sisters? Missionaries in Japan and Africa. Wouldn't it be better to just know the answers to those questions? Wouldn't, it be, wouldn't knowledge be better than faith in all those matters? Wouldn't knowledge put my heart more at rest? Of course, the answer was, maybe so, and maybe not. Only as I got older did I realize that living in the dark while trusting completely in my Heavenly Father's profound wisdom and lavish love was a much better way to go. This morning... We could also, without much contemplation, say faith is important because doubt is so damaging. James tells us that the man who doubts is a double-minded man. He's unstable in everything that he does. He can be tossed about like a tiny vessel can be tossed about by a turbulent sea. Faith overcomes doubt. Faith says, though I can't prove it, I do believe it, and nothing can change my mind about it. That's a good thing. How many of us in this room can testify that our lives took on a much more firm, sure, and stable character once we stopped doubting and started doing more trusting. Faith, I'm sure every one of us would say, has made our lives better. 
Well, those would be two very good and very strong answers to our question of the morning. Why is faith so important? But here's one in the Bible that trumps both of them. Here's the main reason why faith is so important. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, so you read that and you think, okay, so what if I don't have much faith? What problem is that? What if I don't have any faith, really? What if I really am the guy from Missouri who says, I'll believe it when I see it and not before? That's a guy who doesn't even know what faith is. He doesn't have any. What he wants is knowledge, and knowledge is all that he will settle for. So the Bible starts out. It says, without faith in this meeting, there are some who don't have any. Some of us would write that and say, without faith, you're a whole lot better off. Just believe in the things that you know are true, that you've seen with your own eyes. But here's what the Bible says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith, in other words, puts us on the path to a God-pleasing life. How many of us would like to get to heaven and find out that God is displeased with us? It's appointed under men once to die, the Bible says, and after that to face judgment. If you don't like the word judgment, you can at least say evaluation. Okay, evaluation. We die, we walk up to the front door of heaven, and and there is a presence of God. There's someone there. Maybe the Father himself. Maybe it is St. Peter. And he says, so, you ready to come in? Boy, you better believe it, because there's only two choices here. And the man at the door says, we're not ready for you. God is displeased with you. The way you lived your whole life. We said, well, you mean it was possible to please God? I mean, God's God. I didn't think, think anybody could please him. We just try the best we can, right? Well, the Bible says it's possible to please God. But the Bible is telling us in this verse how it's impossible to please God. Live without faith. Have no faith. And you cannot, it's impossible to please God and ever be welcomed into his eternal presence. Now that's serious. That says faith is more important than me just sort of having a kind of stability in my earthly life. Faith is more important than just me generally believing that it'll all work out somehow because God is a good God. This is saying without faith, I can't even please God a little bit. And therefore, I'm not acceptable to God at all. So that statement, without faith, it's impossible to please God, pretty much makes faith essential if we're going to spend eternity in the presence of God. See, it seems to say to me 
that anything that is done in this world, even good and helpful things, without some element of faith involved, those things are worthless activities in the eyes of God. Don't please him at all, even though it might please people, even though we might be incredibly impressed with what we did. Doesn't please God at all. It's mere human activity, even if it's religious activity. If there's no faith involved in it, it doesn't please God. It's not acceptable to God. Do you suppose that's what Isaiah the prophet had in mind when he wrote these words in Isaiah 64, verse 6, when he says to the people of God, the Hebrew nation, he said, all our righteousnesses, that is all the stuff we pull off, thinking that it's good and noble and kind and great, the things that people pat us on the back for, the things we pat ourselves on the back for, all our righteousnesses, good things done by our definition and for our purposes, all our righteousness is, are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. So our good stuff doesn't impress God at all. Faith is essential if we would please God with our lives. Faith has to be part of this, this whole uh, life we're living somehow and the things we're doing. Faith is essential if we would ever hear the Father say, well done, good and faithful, that is faith-filled servant. So faith is indeed important. It's an essential part of a God-pleasing life. Without faith, our lives cannot possibly please God, though they certainly might impress men. So why is it important? (laughs) Well, because without it, we can't be pleasing to God. Here's the second question then. What exactly is faith? God himself spelled it out in one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and you've got it there in front of you. It's so important we understand this verse. And because it is, I've actually listed in your notes four different English translations of this verse, just side by side by side. Notice how the various translators trade around some of the same English words. Maybe this afternoon you could take a shot at just all the English words that are used in these four translations and kind of form your own relationship among them, defining what faith is. All of them are dealing with the Greek word pestis. Now here's the one that's perhaps most familiar to us, it's the King James Version. The writer there says, translator says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I'm sure that has a ring in our ear that is very familiar to many. Here's how the New International Version that I've preached from for almost all of my 50-plus years in the ministry. Here's how the New International Version puts it. 
Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. One of our newest members and attenders here in our fellowship reminded me this week of the unique expressions of a translation of the Bible done about 50 years ago, and it's not even in print anymore, but we had to track down a a print version. But it's the New English Bible. And here's how it puts it. And what is faith? Now, I add in parentheses there, how does it work? Because that seems to be the answer given. And what is faith? How does it work? Faith gives substance to our hopes and makes us certain of realities that we do not see. And then one of the more colloquial translations of our time, the New Living Translation. It says, it starts the same way. And what is faith? It is the confident assurance of what we hope for, that what we hope for is going to happen. The confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. Like I said, you could take all those words, all those English words, know that the very same Greek words lie behind them all, and kind of just put them together in a way that communicates to your heart But one thing they all do is all of them link faith and hope. Faith with hope. Hope, our hope as Christians that we spoke about last week, is the truth that God has declared. It fills the pages of Scripture. Hope is always in something. Hope is because of something. Hope is focused on the truth that God has declared. Truth regarding things yet to come. Truth regarding the meaning of things that have already come. And that God has already done. Our hope is in the promise and the meaning of those things. That's what our hope is. Faith, on the other hand, is the inner evidence, the substance, the certainty, the assurance that such hope is indeed true and trustworthy. Hope is the result of of God having communicated, here's the deal. Here's the truth. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what what I did do means. It's revelation. It's the truth. And our hope is based upon stuff that God has said and things that God has done. Faith is believing that all of that stuff is actually true. And all of that stuff is actually certain. The things, the reason we put our hope in it is that the things we're hoping in haven't happened yet. God just has said it will happen. Or this is what happens when something else happens. 
This is who I will be. This is how I will respond when you're in times of need or trouble. God says, that's what, boy, I sure hope people do that. If that ever happens to me. I hope that's the way it goes in my life, just the way the Bible says. So we put our hopes in things God has said, especially things that haven't happened yet or we haven't experienced yet. But that can lead to kind of I hope so life, right? Do any of you have any I hope so's in your heart right now? Well, I applied for that job. (laughs) I'm hoping that I get it. I hope so. It's not for sure. It'd be nice. But it's something we're hoping about. Now see... Faith, then, takes the substance of that hope, the truth expressed or the words, the facts expressed in that hope and says, I believe it. And deep down inside me, it's almost like I know it. See, the Bible says faith, the fact that we have that faith, that is the evidence That's the evidence. It's almost like we found the fingerprints of God. Just like a cop going through a scene and saying, who who held this? Well, there's fingerprints on it. There's evidence. We can trace it back and find the source. The writer says here, faith in our heart is the evidence of our hopes being true. To live with such faith, with such assurance deep within, in all the things that God has said, and that the Bible says he has done, the Bible tells us is a most God-pleasing thing to do. God would look down from heaven and say, you believe me when I said that? You believe That what the Bible says happened really happened? This was a work of God in this world? You believe that Jesus Christ actually came into the world? See, believing in what God has said and done, having faith in what God has said and done, is the thing that pleases God. Because God has said and done it, whether people believe it or not. And by the millions, the billions even in this world, there are those who do not believe at all in what the Bible says God has said or God has done. They have no faith. And then there are those who know what the Bible says and they doubt it. They're wishy-washy about it. Where the Bible says faith is not wishy-washy. Faith is a miraculous thing. See, and and it pleases God. It also satisfies our soul. When the true faith takes root in your heart, there's a satisfaction, a steadiness, a settledness within yourself, in your soul, that you're not going through life just frantically. 
You're not going through life uh, changing from one moment to the next. There's a, there's a settledness at the very heart of you because you believe that certain things are true and will happen and will always be true. And therefore, you're not tossed about by every notion of men that come along. So since faith can do such a marvelous thing, and since faith accomplishes such a necessary thing, that is God's pleasure, and therefore God's acceptance, our third question this morning just says this, how does one gain such God-pleasing faith? Here's our key verse, then we'll talk about it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says this, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's like you really do believe. You really do believe in the message of the gospel. You really do believe in Jesus Christ. You're settled on that. You have faith in Christ. And that brings salvation with it. And this, this faith is not from yourselves. Oh, it'd be nice if it were. That means I could just stoke it up anytime I wanted to. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. So just a couple comments here on this verse. You see, faith cannot be simply worked up. Faith that pleases God, cannot be wished into being. As in, I wish I had more faith. Faith comes from God. And it comes as God enters our life in the person of the Holy Spirit. Faith does not come as a result of reading the book and us saying, makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. I can see how that all fits into a pattern. I can see how uh, God would do that. Or I can see how, uh, you know, in a sense it makes sense to me, I guess I'll believe it. That's not God-pleasing faith. That's just human beings talking themselves into something. And if they talk themselves into something, they can easily talk themselves out of that very same something. When something a little more attractive comes along. Faith is the certainty and confidence that the Spirit of God brings with him as he joins himself to us. He, we like to call him pneuma around here, just the Greek word for spirit, pneuma. Pneuma is the one, he's the companion whom Jesus has sent to be with everyone who confesses Jesus Christ as the Son of God and who puts their hope of eternal life in him. Jesus called it being born again. Almost like adopting an entirely fresh perspective on life and purpose and and all kinds of things. It's like you were born all over again as far as the way you look at things. All of a sudden, you're looking at things the way God has revealed his truth to be. And you see your sinfulness. You see your fallenness. 
you see that you, if you came to the door of heaven, well, knowing yourself the way you know yourself, you wouldn't even get close to it. The glory would blind you before you were halfway up the hill. And the thing is, the Bible tells us no sinner ever has to worry about being blinded by the glory of heaven's front gate. They never see it. For after they die, a judgment has been made of whether they deserve and and belong to the Almighty, the Heavenly Father, have accepted Jesus as their Savior, and have become a child of God and actually belong in heaven or not. And if not, they never see the place. They go to a place of judgment. They even wait for final judgment. So our pictures of talking to somebody at heaven's gate is just human talking. You see, the Spirit of God convicts people when he comes into the world of the fact that they are sinners. I remember the night I was convicted of that. I mean, my mother told me I was a sinner for a long time. (laughs) But I remember the night the Holy Spirit told me I was a sinner. And I was heading for hell. And I was under the judgment of God. And I was a sinner because I had been born in sin, not because I did a few bad things. I was a sinner. I was a member of Adam's fallen race. And every one of us in Adam made a choice to turn our back on the holiness and righteousness of God and said, I will go my own way. And the human flesh nature was born. That human nature that just has those two great capital I words that that define it. Independence. Nobody's going to tell me nothing. And indulgence. I'm not going to withhold any good thing from me if I possibly can get my hands on it. I'm in charge of my own life, and I will determine how much of this world I take to myself. That's the heart of sin, and I possessed it. It possessed me, and there came a night where the Holy Spirit revealed to me that truth, and I was forced to accept it, to realize it. And then came the message that God loves sinners. He loves all mankind. He doesn't want to see any perish, not even you, Mark. And he sent his own son, Jesus. The pure, holy, glorified, eternal son of God lowered himself way, way down laid aside all that glory and majesty to the shock and amazement of the angelic hosts. And he came down and became a human being. Weakened. Susceptible to all the 
the ugliness of this world and the fallenness of it and to the misunderstanding of people and the rejection that would come. And, and yet in the midst of this fallen world, he lived a sinless life. And then he sacrificed himself in the place of all of us sinners. And it was like the preacher that night was making clear and the Holy Spirit was making clear to me, Mark, if you were the only one on the face of this earth who had fallen so far away from the goodness of God, he would have died, he would have died for you. And he did. And Mark, what are you going to do about that? You can keep living the life you've been living, figuring out things the best you can, skirting around the things that your parents tell you to do. You can continue to do that, and you can go to a place of judgment and realize that even if you go to Sunday school and learn your Bible verses and can win most of the sword drills that they have in Sunday school class, some of you remember them, it doesn't please God. Doesn't get you one inch closer to heaven. You must put your faith in what Jesus Christ has done. And that night I was saved. The Holy Spirit convinced me beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ was the Savior and I needed a Savior. And the hope of all that is that Jesus' death on the cross had completely made possible the forgiveness of sins and I believed it. I believed it. Somehow that faith took root in me that I've never doubted since what Jesus died for and what his death accomplished. And that if we trust in him and ask him to forgive us of our sins, the Heavenly Father will forgive us and he will send. I've come to learn more and more in the last few years about the Father and the Son sending then the third member of that marvelous God family, the Holy Spirit, right into my life to make these things sure for me, to bring faith to me, the kind of faith that would just be sure and certain and deep in my heart that is truly the faith that pleases God. That's how it comes. It comes as the Holy Spirit is given to us and he brings such faith with him right into us. And that God-given faith makes all the difference in the life of such a formerly lost human being. God-given faith sustains Christ's followers through all the ups and downs of life. God-given faith can be a powerful presence in our lives and it will grow and deepen the longer that it's there. You see, faith, faith comes with the Spirit who himself has come because Jesus first came into the world those long years ago. And when Jesus left, he sent the Spirit who has been here ministering in the hearts of believers, bringing believers, bringing men and women to faith in Jesus Christ, and then filling them with the kind of faith that will keep them true and strong throughout this life. It's a marvelous plan of God. My, my hope is in all of that. 
And the evidence I have that it's true is that I just believe it. Absolutely believe it. You see, I'd say to you this morning, I don't know everybody's condition, but if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never recognized that the Son of God took upon himself human flesh, lived a perfect life, and then laid down that perfect life and took the judgment upon himself that we imperfect ones deserve to take ourselves, he took it for us. And if you will claim him, if you will believe the very words I'm saying that are simply what the Bible says, if you will believe that and receive that, the Bible says you will be made new, spiritually new, and that happens by the power of the Holy Spirit who comes into you who has brought that first understanding to you, who's opened your eyes and then refreshed your will and your heart and you say, I I give myself to Christ. And the Spirit comes in and he brings with him everything he is. And he enables us then to trust absolutely, completely, and to maintain right to the end of life knowing that these things are so. And every day now, as we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit's control, because the Apostle says, Apostle Paul says, walk with the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit. As we do that, our faith grows. And so my thought would be, our final thought of the morning would be a testimony for each one of us. It reads this way. The presence of this kind of faith in my heart. You read these words along with me and say, can you say these things personally, individually? The presence of this kind of faith in my heart is all the proof I need that what I believe is true. Such faith not only pleases God, it convinces me. Oh, Heavenly Father, without faith it's impossible to please you, but Father, with faith it's possible to overturn mountains. With faith it's, it's possible to walk through the deepest of days and not doubt. It's possible to, to live our whole lives just believing that your will is being done in us even if we don't see everything in the way that you can. Oh, Father, may may the gift of the Holy Spirit, may the power of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us, especially today with regard to faith, that we would believe and not doubt, that we would read and be sure, that we would just walk through life solid and stable. What a glorious thing Jesus Christ has made possible for us. Hope and now faith that just cannot be shaken. I pray that for each one of us, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.